scripture reading, let's uh, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. Ecclesiastes, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the, cause, uh, for the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, What are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be, and who can tell him how it will be. Uh, no man has a power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for this blessed day where you have helped us come together in your name, as one body, to worship and praise you. Now, as we prepare our hearts to hear from your word through our brother Ravind, we commit him to your hands to strengthen him and speak through him. We also pray that you open our hearts and minds to understand and absorb what you're trying to convey to us through your word, that we may apply it and be encouraged by it and live our lives for your glory. In the most precious name of your Son and our Saviour Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Good morning. All right, so <clears throat> we will continue our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, we, we've made a way to chapter 8 this morning. also want to thank uh, Nitin for reading the passage and praying for me as well. Um, so today's uh, passage, as was clear from the reading, is from Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Ecclesiastes 8, verses 1 through 9. Let me start this uh, morning's sermon by reading for you some excerpts from an article that appeared in the winter 2019 issue of Foreign Policy magazine. So this is Foreign Policy magazine, and uh, th there are some excerpts I'm going to read for you from an article that appeared in the winter issue in 2019. It's a recent one. Since there are children sitting here, I've changed one word in the excerpts, but you get the point. It says, in September 2018, LGBT people in India celebrated after the country's Supreme Court unanimously struck down a colonial-era ban on gay rights. It was an important moment for LGBT rights. This was a welcome victory. But it does not necessarily mean that LGBT people in India are fully free or perceived as equal among their fellow citizens. Now notice what he's saying. And it underscores how much work remains to be done in the rest of the world to overturn antiquated and repressive anti-gay laws. Antiquated 
and repressive anti-gay laws. Justice Indu Malhotra, who passed the judgment on this, in her judgment, she made this comment. History owes an apology to the members of this community and their families. Homosexuality is part of human sexuality. A judge, in her judgment, in India, making this comment. Homosexuality is part of human sexuality. That's our country. That's where our children are going to be raised. That's where my son is going to be raised. What does this mean for the country in which we live? In other words, how are we to think about the societies and the cities that we reside in? And how are we to live in them? Christians often struggle to know about how to engage the world. We're confused about how to engage the world around us. So many laws are different right now from what they used to be at least some 20 years ago. Issues of sexuality and gender often confuse us in the way we ought to relate to our society as well as the government. Let me look at another aspect of it and tell you what's happening in the country, and I'm sure many of you know what's happening about this aspect as well. This is an article I read. Uh, it, is, it appeared in the UCA News report. It says this. Christians in India are facing an increased number of violent attacks and threats. According to the report, the following incidents have taken place in recent weeks. Let me mention a couple of them here. On May 30th, police detained Pastor Rupsen Paswan of the Assemblies of Believers Church in the state of Uttar Pradesh and warned of dire consequences if he continued to hold church services in the district. On June 2nd, Extremist groups threatened pastor, a pastor in Maharashtra with violence if they continued to hold Sunday services. A pastor and his wife were abducted by a mob who entered the church during a Sunday morning prayer in Uttar Pradesh. They were released but warned not to hold any more services again. How are we to respond as Christians in a world like this? To what extent should we obey the government? Should we as Christians always, without a question, do everything the, governor, uh, the governing authorities demand? If not, then how do you decide where you draw the line on the areas where you will not obey? Christians need to know how to relate to authority, especially when their country is doing things that are controversial. So the questions come up, and the questions are, what is the right response to the perplexities of human authority? What is our right response to the perplexities of human authority? Or better, how should you and I as Christians relate to the government? How should you and I as Christians relate to the government? The passage for today was actually written by a politician, Solomon, the king. But Solomon knew the limits of human government. Solomon relates wisdom to submission to government. He is relating wisdom to submission to the government. So this morning's passage will give us two practical helps, two practical advices about how we ought to relate to the government as Christians, how you and I as Christians ought to relate to the government. And Solomon is going to give us two very simple practical advices. In verses 1 through 4, 
in verses 1 through 4, you will see that you and I need to deal wisely with government authorities. You and I need to deal wisely with government authorities. What should stand out to others in the way you and I relate to the government? In the way you and I as Christians relate to government authorities is that you and I have a firm belief in God's sovereignty and his word. The way we relate to the government should tell the world around us that you and I have a firm belief in God's sovereignty and in God's word. In explaining to us this particular thing, Solomon has three pieces of advice for us. Let's go one by one. First, Solomon says, wisdom gives perspective and helps us behave appropriately. Wisdom gives perspective and helps us behave appropriately. Look at verse 1. Who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. In this verse, Solomon is basically saying, who knows how to maneuver through this life? Who knows what to say when? Who knows when to act and when not to act? And Solomon's point here is, knowing how to act in a particular situation is the most relevant aspect of the expertise of the wise man. Knowing how to act in a particular situation is the most relevant aspect of the expertise of a wise person. Also, in this verse, Solomon wants us to yearn for wisdom because he says that wisdom changes a person's countenance. It changes a person's face. The face is changed. Hardness goes away. That's Solomon's point here. Now, why does Solomon want to talk about countenance change when we're going to talk about how to relate to government, how to deal with government? Because people notice what your countenance looks like. People notice what my face looks like and what is the expression on my face. That's why Solomon wants to deal with that first. I don't think here Solomon is merely using a word picture, but actually affirming what the scriptures teach about those who follow the Lord. Let me quote for you a couple of scriptures here. Proverbs 15, 13 says this, A glad heart or a merry heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is crushed. A merry heart, a glad heart, makes a cheerful face. What is in the heart is seen on the countenance on the heart. And one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, Psalm 40 and verse 3, says, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Now notice the next phrase, Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Do you notice here that the song is not heard, but here the song is seen? A wise person is someone who's transformed from the inside out that the revelation, the manifestation is also seen on his countenance, on his face. Wisdom transforms harshness and meanness of the heart into a face that is open to God and open to the neighbor as well. And Solomon says, wisdom gives perspective and helps us behave appropriately. Wisdom, godly wisdom gives us that perspective and helps us behave appropriately. Secondly, Solomon says, obey the government because of your commitment to God. Obey the government because of your commitment to God. Look at verse 2. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. The more literal translation of the Hebrew is simply because of the oath of God. Because of the oath of God. Now, this could mean one of two things. 
This could mean God's oath to the king, just like how God made an oath to King David that he would preserve his throne forever. Or it could also mean that the oath that God has required of the subjects or his servants to their king. I tend to take the second view here. The reason is, if you notice from time to time, from the time we were born to this world, we have been under the authority of somebody else that God has placed in our lives. For example, as children, we were under the authority of parents. And then when we went to school, we were under the authority of teachers and the principal. If you played any sports, you were under the authority of the captain or the coach of your team. If you're an employee, and many of you are still, you're under the authority of your boss or your manager. In the church, we are under the authority of the scriptures and the elders. And as citizens, we are under the authority of our government. And here in this verse, Solomon addresses the issue of our submission to the governing authorities of the land. And he simply says, keep the king's command. Keep the king's command. Now, this command may wipe the smiles of most of our faces, particularly in light of who happens to be our current leader. But the fact of the matter is, it is very important to know that our obedience is not for the sake of the king or, or for the sake of the prime minister, but for the sake of the one who has put the prime minister in the office. It is not for the sake of the prime minister, it is not for the sake of the king, but the sake of the one who has actually given that person the office and has the authority. And it's not just the teaching here that Solomon is giving. It's, it's not a lonely teaching in scripture, but it is something that is seen throughout the scripture, particularly in the New Testament. Let me quote for you one verse from Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. There, uh, Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So Paul is very clear that we must submit to the king. We must submit to the authorities placed by God because every authority has been placed by God and every person is under the authority that God has ordained. So you and I are under the authorities that God has ordained over us and we must submit to authorities. So when you and I live as law-abiding citizens, we bring, we bring glory and we bring honor to God because we ultimately have submitted to the ultimate authority that God himself is. And he has placed those authorities over the land for us to submit to. Proverbs 21.1 says this, The king's heart is a stream of waters in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wishes. He turns it wherever he wishes. When you submit to authorities, you actually reveal your trust in the providence of God. You actually reveal your trust in God's sovereignty. Sean O'Donnell once wrote this. He said, everything is directed by the secret stirring of God's hand. So then, in subordination to those in authority over you, whether teachers or parents or bosses or prime ministers and others, show, shows an attitude of ingratitude and a mistrust in God. So when you and I don't submit to the authorities that God has placed over us, it shows an attitude of ingratitude and shows a mistrust in God is what this man is saying. So Solomon's point is that we must obey the government because of the commitment that we've made to God, because of the oath that we've made to God.
Thirdly, Solomon says, do not rebel against governmental authority. Do not rebel against governmental authority. Look at verses 3 and 4. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Solomon here is picturing a man who is working in the court of the king. He is a subordinate of, a king, of the king, and he is leaving the king's presence in disgust and resigning the position in king's court. Solomon is saying, be not hasty to go from his presence. The idea here is one of disrespect. The man who was working under the king is disrespecting the king, dishonoring the king, and is leaving the king's presence in a hurry. He says, don't be quick to turn away from the ruler. Don't be quick to turn away from the authority. Why would this man do such a thing? Maybe the king asked him to do something that he did not like. Probably the man could have thought this way. The king is going to do it anyway. So what's the point? Why not I just leave and resign from this position and get out of here? And so he walked away. But Solomon is saying that there is a problem with that kind of a quick-tempered response. And there are two problems. Firstly, that shows disrespect to the authority that God has placed over you, number one. Number two, if you act this way, it gives you no opportunity to speak the truth into that scenario. It gives you no opportunity to speak the truth into that scenario. And so the preacher's advice or Solomon's advice on behavior before a monarch is equally applicable to situations we may encounter on any bureaucratic level. And the point is this. You and I achieve nothing by exasperating those who are in authority. You and I achieve nothing by exasperating those who are in authority. And neither will you and I get a sympathetic hearing from the one to whom you and I have been discourteous. Now the question that I'm sure that is on your minds is this. Should our obedience to governing authority have any limits, Raven? Or are we to always obey the government regardless? Isn't that the question on your minds? Solomon gives the answer here. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says, do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. Clearly, Solomon doesn't think submission is a blind obedience to everything. He says, if you're called to actually participate in evil, you don't do it. If you're called to participate in evil, you don't do it. And the Apostle Peter affirms this in Acts 5.29 when he said, we must obey God rather than man. We must obey God rather than man. So here is the principle that we must draw and understand from the Bible. When it comes to a conflict between God's laws and man's laws, we must obey the higher authority. That is God's laws. When it comes to a conflict between God's revealed laws and man's laws, we must obey the higher authority. That is God's laws. Let me uh, share a story with you that some of you may have read um, in a magazine that comes from the U.S. You know, it happened in Rowan County, Kentucky a few years ago. Kim Davis, a Christian, the clerk of, uh, of a court in Rowan County, was put in jail for refusing to issue uh, licenses for gay couples, marriage license for, uh, licenses for gay couples. Her reason for not doing so was simply this. She said, 
homosexual relationships are an abomination to God and thus is a violation of the law of God. And she said she had rather be in prison than give out licenses that are against the will of God that are revealed in the word. So when faced with a decision to obey the highest law in the land or the law of God, we must obey the law of God. I was just wondering yesterday, will there ever come a time in our land when we'll have to choose between the law of God or the law of the land? It is possible and it definitely is probable. But my point is this, under no circumstance whatsoever is God ever honored when we obey a law of man that violates a divine law. Under no circumstance is God ever honored when we obey a law of man that violates a divine law or the law of God. But may we resolve, may we resolve, all of us as Christians, let us resolve to obey the laws of the land as long as those laws do not violate the laws that God has given us in his word. Now look at verse 4. What, what is Solomon saying here? For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Solomon affirms here that the rulers tend to do whatever they want because they are supreme. They tend to do whatever they want because they are supreme. Even in our land, where the constitution is supposed to be supreme, people try to take the spot above the constitution. And what do we do in those scenarios? It seems to me people get into two types of responses. One is either to hide or the other one is to be very vocal about it and obstinately vocal about it. And Solomon is speaking the person who is obstinately vocal about it. And he's saying, who may say to him, what are you doing? You cannot ask the king, what are you doing? The point is, we have a plenty of angry people in our country, especially in politics, who, who raise their voices, who vocalize everything. But it seems to me that Solomon would call for a calm spirit and a calm demeanor. That's Solomon's point here. So in verses uh, one through four, we saw that you and I as Christians need to deal wisely with government authorities. We need to deal wisely with government authorities. Now, this may raise a lot of questions in our minds. Why should I deal wisely with government? Am I not the one who voted them to power? I am tempted to fight this evil system because of its great injustices. Why should I have a calm demeanor and submit to the government? And Solomon answers all these questions in our second point, which is in verses 5 through 9. And they say, we must do what is right and trust God to act. We must do what is right and trust God to act. Here is a point. When we are faced with difficulty during a hurtful reign, during a tyrannical reign, you and I should continue to do what is right and trust God to bring about the changes. We should continue to do what is right and trust God to bring about the changes. In clarifying this, Solomon gives us four insights or four advices. Let's go one by one here. Firstly, he says, when we obey the law, we stay out of trouble. Very simple. Look at the first part of verse 5. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. Now, the government is authorized by God to rule over people. And you and I must realize that. The government is authorized by God to rule over people. And therefore, a wise citizen, says Solomon, will learn to obey the government. It is a fool who will go against the government and get into trouble. 
Obedience to God, obedience to the law, has God's blessings upon it. And submitting to the law of the land will help us stay out of trouble, in fact, a whole lot of trouble. Now, this is where wisdom comes in that Solomon has been talking about all this while. If you and I will choose to obey the laws of the land, if you and I use the wisdom and choose to obey the laws of the land, we can spare ourselves of a great deal of trouble that you and I may otherwise experience. For example, when you drive below the speed limit, you don't have to worry about the cameras. When you pay your taxes, you aren't particularly worried about the tax officials. When you faithfully do your job every day, then you don't have to be afraid of getting fired. Well, there are exceptions to that. I'll come to that. Or when you make your monthly payments regularly, you don't have to be worried about somebody coming and snatching your car or your house away from you. Now, there are certainly some exceptions, but Solomon's point here is this, that as a rule, you and I can rid ourselves of many problems, many troubles in this country, simply by obeying the laws of the land. Simply by obeying the laws of the land. Secondly, Solomon says there's a proper time and procedure for every desire. Look at verses 5b, second part of verse 5 and verse 6. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there's a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. Solomon is saying that wise people understand that there's a time and judgment. And those two must be considered in everything that we do. It takes discernment to know what is the right procedure for the right time. In Psalm 57 verse 4, David said this, My soul is among lions. You remember that? My soul is among lions. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, commenting on this passage, made this comment. He said, if your soul is among the lions, it is wise not to pull his whiskers. If your soul is among the lions, it is wise not to go and pull the lion's whiskers. Some Christians think they are suffering for their faith, but they're actually suffering for being stupid. Well, you may hear all this and say to me, come on, Raven, nothing of this works. Be practical. We are living in a land where there's a lot of injustice, and you know what's happening in politics. Well, maybe not, but the point isn't just getting our way as Christians. It isn't just getting our way as Christians. The point is to shine forth the glory of God and then trust in the God who's sovereign over the ruler's hearts. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They didn't escape the fiery furnace, but by going into the furnace, they could show the glory of God through their lives. And you had the fourth person as well standing there. But if you struggle with this counsel that Solomon is giving, if I struggle with this counsel that Solomon is giving, then you and I are really struggling to trust in the sovereignty of God. That's the bottom line. You and I are really struggling to trust the sovereignty of God. I know that questions can pervade our minds. And you can say, well, what about this raven? What if I get hurt? Yes, what if? But we've already learned that we need to submit to everything because of the oath that we made to God. And secondly, Solomon addresses all of our what-ifs by saying that we need to submit because God is worthy of our trust. God is worthy of our trust. Wisdom helps us survive in an unjust world. Tact is the ability to avoid needless offense. 
And I understand, as a Christian, it's not easy for us to live in a complicated world like this. It's a world full of injustice. It is complicated. It's full of evil. And like James says, if we ask God, he will give us the wisdom. He will give us the wisdom to be able to navigate through this. I think our culture is moving towards a point where we are beginning to question every authority. I don't know where that is coming from, but we are beginning to question all authority. And as believers, you and I must remember that even bad authorities, teachers, principals, employers, parents, all of them have been placed by the sovereignty of God. Even if they are bad, each and every authority has been placed in our lives by the sovereignty of God. And God even uses evil leaders to accomplish his holy purposes. So we must be careful when we resist our authorities, when we resist those who are in the government, because we could be obstructing God's work and God's plan. And every Christian, as Solomon says, must have a spirit of submission, and we must submit to God-given authorities, and also give in to their reasonable requests as they make for us. You know, that includes everything from paying taxes to working overtime as well. So that's the second thing that Solomon says. Thirdly, he says, no one can foresee what will happen tomorrow to a government. No one can foresee what will happen to a government tomorrow. Look at verse 7. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? Now you and I live with a lot of uncertainties in life, and same is the thing with governments as well. We saw what happened in our own state last week with the government. We don't know what's going to happen to this government as well. Any bureaucracy has its own uncertainties and difficulties. And wars and wickedness will continue. No one has control over any of these except God himself. That's Solomon's point here. So if you're wise, we can't change the government. We can't change the rulers. But we can trust God who can change any of them. And God may choose to answer our prayers in our own lifetime, and bring about the changes that we have requested of him. Since no one can foresee what luck at tomorrow, no one can protect even a government from what lies before it. But I do want to say this, as humbly as I can, that wisdom takes work and wisdom takes practice as well. It takes prayer, it takes discernment before God. It sometimes also takes a community of believers coming together and discussing about what is the right step and, and how we ought to pray for certain things as well. But let's remember that we are the only ones who can give true welfare to the society because you and I have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And lastly, Solomon says, no government can protect itself from unavoidable events. No government can protect itself from unavoidable events. Verses 8 and 9. No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Notice the first phrase that Solomon is saying here. He says, no man has power to retain the spirit. The term spirit refers to the wind, and NIV translates it this way. It says, no one has the power over the wind to contain it. I think that's a good translation. No one has power over the wind to contain it. You can't control the wind. No government can control the wind. 
No government can control tornadoes or hurricanes. Government can't stop earthquakes. You know, in the month of uh, May, just this year, Cyclone Fanny hit the coast of Odisha. And 10 lakh people had to be moved, had to be evacuated from their places, fearing the kind of devastation it might cause in their lives. The government couldn't stop it. No government can stop anything like this. Only God can. Secondly, in the second phrase, Solomon says, No man has power over the day of his death. I read about the story of a young man who tried to shoot himself in the head. And he was taken to the hospital at the right time and he survived. And he had to live with the consequences of shooting himself in the head for the rest of his life. He wanted to take his life. He ended up living. No one has control over the day of his death. And nobody can take your life even one second before God has destined for your life to be taken away. And not even the best of doctors can save us even for a second after when God is destined to take our lives. Only God holds the power over death. Thirdly, Solomon says, there is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. You know, there are YouTube clips that I love to watch, and that is uh, military personnel coming all of a sudden to give surprise to their families. Those are beautiful to watch. You know, kids run to the dads and hug, having, and not having seen them for a long time. But the point Solomon is making is, no one has control over a war. Imagine a soldier who's been up for a discharge and he comes to the embassy and there are many soldiers that way wanting to go home, dreaming to meet their families. And all of, all of a sudden, the enemy comes and bombs the embassy. Will he be able to go back home? Not at all. The point that Solomon is making is that God alone has the authority and is sovereign over all these things. And finally, Solomon says, evil people can't deliver themselves by doing more evil. Evil people can't deliver themselves by doing more evil. God is in control. Their evil may lull them into thinking that they're invincible, but they're not. You can ask Pharaoh, you can ask Goliath, you can ask Herod, you can ask even Hitler, and they will tell you the same thing. And we are continually reminded that we are visitors here, we are sojourners here, and we are not the ones who are in charge. There is no government which can protect itself from natural disaster or death of its leaders, the effects of war, or the fruit of its own evil. And therefore, Solomon is saying here that no government can protect itself from unavoidable events. So what's the point of this morning's passage? The whole passage basically says, when dealing with government authorities, we must use godly wisdom, do what is right, and trust in God's sovereignty. We must use godly wisdom, do what is right, and trust in God's sovereignty. God's vantage point in life enables us to divert natural, angry tendencies of fighting an evil system to actions and enjoyment of good because we understand that God will sovereignly one day deal with evil. I want to finish with a story uh, that really touched my heart, and I, I, I remember it yesterday, and I put it in the sermon. Archibald uh, uh, Rutledge once wrote about a man he met whose dog had been killed in a forest fire. And he shared the story with tears in his eyes. This heartbroken man explained to Rutledge about how it happened. He says he is somebody who works in a forest. And he used to take his dog every day to the forest. And there was a clearing there and he put his dog there. It was a very, very obedient dog. And he said, watch my lunch pack. I will go and work in the forest and come back. 
And this man goes into the forest. The dog was watching the lunch. And all of a sudden, a forest fire started. Uh, and the blaze came even to the clearing. And the dog sat there, even though the fire was coming onto him. And the dog was consumed in the process. Now, with tear-filled eyes, the dog owner told Rutledge this. I had to always be very, very careful. I had to be always very, very careful what I told him to do. Because I knew he would faithfully obey every one of my commands. He would faithfully obey every one of my commands. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you this morning that our Heavenly Father has reminded us to obey the laws of the land. Every one of the laws, even when they are difficult, except when they contradict the divine laws that he has given us. Let's honor the Lord by being faithful in our obedience to do what he has commanded us to do. And I also want to remind each one of us seated here, including myself, that our citizenship is in heaven and we await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the very power that enables him to bring everything under his control, he is able to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And that's the hope that we have. We don't belong here. We don't belong here. And that's why the world hates us. The world brings us difficulties and suffering. And also in John's gospel, John says, Jesus says, in fact, that the world hates us because it did not know the Father who sent him. I hope the Lord has spoken to you this morning. And this is something that's very, very relevant to us, especially in light of what's happening in our nation. Thank you for your patience. And let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for a very relevant passage from the writings of Solomon. Solomon, a king himself, knows that his authority comes from you. And he doesn't have ultimate authority. He doesn't have authority over death or the wind or anything, O oh Lord, except the authority that you have given him. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would realize every single day, even though when it's tough in a land like this, that every authority in our land has been placed by you, by your sovereignty, and we must be obedient to our authorities. We must be careful not to rebel against authorities, because that is like rebelling against you. And we pray, O oh Lord, that if persecution and suffering and struggle were to come upon us, you would give us the grace and we would, with wisdom, pray and get together as believers and sustain one another in this tough time through the strength of the Spirit. But we also pray that in your own time, you would bring a change for our good so we may enjoy our lives in this land as well. We want to thank you for everything in Jesus' name.